Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Art Studio. I am your host, Dan Burke. I hope all of you are having a great day in your art studio, and I hope the art is coming out well. Someday I'm going to have to break this show into segments. I think that might be an interesting and fun way to present the show, and I always like structure in shows. I never mind it when David Letterman would do a top ten or something like that. It always, I think it makes sense to the human brain to have a little bit of structure, Anyway, let's start up with how to draw a better uh, segment of the show. There isn't one person probably that isn't interested in getting better. One of the things that I do, uh, as we all know, is I draw something at least twice. Uh, Drawing things twice really makes it better. Now, sometimes you don't have the time and the affordance to draw things twice. I understand that. But let's say you're drawing a portrait of a face. When you draw that portrait, you choose different lines on the thing. You choose maybe a heavier line for the nostril shadow, and then a lighter line for the the lips or something, or reverse that. You may have a heavy line for the lips, uh, because the lip is casting a shadow, and you may have a light line for the shadow of the nose. There's all these different ways to approach line weight as you draw that portrait. Now, totally switching up the line weight can totally switch up that portrait, the feel of it. And that's probably one of the things I do when I draw something a second time or a third time, is I go with a new set of line weights, and that dramatically affects how the drawing looks. So it's not like I'm drawing any better or different the second time around. I'm, I'm actually getting a different result by perhaps using a thicker pen, a thicker brush, a different line weight setup, uh, things like that. So inking things twice, drawing things twice, rendering them twice is a big asset for me. Uh, it really, really helps and informs my work. It's interesting about learning things. There's only a handful of people that I know that I can turn to and say, hey, if you do it this way, it's cheaper and faster. And they will actually say, oh, okay, let me get on that right away because I like it cheaper and faster. And believe me, we are all this way on all sorts of different subjects. Not everyone's going to be 100% on everything to other people's satisfaction. You know, it's like uh, being a prepper. You know, do you have 80 gallons of water ready to go in case the world ends and stuff? And to a prepper, if you're not completely prepared for the end of the world, uh, they think you're completely crazy. So each of us then has a comfortable level of what we would say is our... uh, you know, level of what we want to do things at. 
Anyway, drawing tips. Drawing something twice. That's the first tip, which I have discussed many times. You should just try it. Draw a face for five minutes, then go back and draw the face again for another five minutes. I think you'll find that the first pass was a learning pass, and the second pass will inform the second pass quite a bit, and you'll be able to draw it at least differently. Uh, maybe the word better is not the way to go, but differently. For me, I get a much better product the second time around. The interesting thing about drawing things two, three times is that you learn what was wrong. Like, oh, that's what was wrong with the first drawing. It didn't have this sort of line weight or this sort of look to it. Oh, this is what I you know, did better on the third drawing. So I started internalizing new lessons about how to draw better. And so when I sit down to draw something, and I'm drawing it for the first time, I draw it better the first time because I'm drawing it with the new lessons I learned from drawing the other things two and three times. I know that sounds convoluted, but it's really not, and that really works for me. Now I'm going to give you a really solid tip about learning to draw. Again, I realize that people want to do things or are wired to do things their own way. I saw a guy the other day in the middle of the highway do a U-turn across eight lanes of traffic. He just stopped his car in the middle of the highway and said, this is it, I'm doing a U-turn. Everyone's going to do it their own way. Their brain has their own way of thinking, of solving problems, of thinking what is efficient or what's fun or what's good for them. So I'm not trying to sell you on my ideas, okay? <laughs> just big clarification. Uh, we'll get to that why in a second. Anyway, here's, some, here's a way. I'm going to make you a better artist right now. If you were just to do this one thing, you would become better. You ready? Choose someone really famous. Someone you know about. Let's say like Brad Pitt. Type in Brad Pitt into Google and type in Brad Pitt red carpet. What you'll come up with is a whole bunch of photographs of Brad Pitt arriving for movies on the red carpet or wherever the heck he goes. You'll see Brad, let's say, at the Golden Globes premiere from 19, you know, 2015 or whatever. He'll be in a black tuxedo. There'll be pictures and photographs from, of him from all different angles at this one event as he's standing looking this way and that way. Download all these pictures. Now, go ahead and do a 10-minute study on each one of those pictures of Brad. What you learn from this, now I would choose to draw someone I really enjoyed drawing. What you learn from this is how they look in different angles, how the human form looks in different angles. And you learn so much from doing this. And if you draw them over and over again, you will be able to draw them probably forever. In other words, they'll become one of the library of people that you have that you can draw. Have you ever noticed that when you look at someone like Jack Kirby, oh, I stand corrected, by the way, he is a genius. Uh, 
that his work, the people in the backgrounds, the generic people, would often look exactly the same. <laughs> same weird hats and everything. It's like his background people got frozen in 1945. Anyway, those people always looked the same. So he had a library, a standard sort of face and head that he would pop out when it was time to draw the generic person. Now, I don't want you to draw generic people. I want you to draw interesting, cool people. And this is the way I found so valuable and I learned so much. You know, everybody has a different shaped head, face, nose. You know, uh, each actress, each actor has a different jawline, nose line, lips. And when you draw like 25 pictures of someone from different angles, profiles, looking this way, looking that way, smiling, not smiling, walking forward, you really get a sense of the human figure doing this in a way you do with nothing else. It's a lot like live figure drawing, I suppose, but even better or different. Definitely different. I have stumbled upon this technique when I was trying to develop characters for my books. I would try to find interesting hairstyles, and I'd say, okay, that's going to be the hairstyle for my character. And I would try to find interesting faces, like, okay, I want her to have this kind of face or this kind of look. The girl will look like, you know, Selma Hayek or look like, you know, Ginger Rogers. or, You know, each character is sort of supposed to have, you know, a definite look for me. And that's how I stumbled onto this. It turns out that by the time I get to drawing, drawing somebody for many, many, many drawings and pages and, and different, you know, uh, angles and so forth, I really get a, a sense of dynamic figure drawing, that person, of course, in particular, uh, but also how forms change as, you know, the, the human figure changes as it rotates around. It's really surprising some of the looks and things that you will learn from doing this. You know, we eventually draw with cylinders and shape and light and dark. Draw with cylinders and you shade it and now you have a drawing. It all comes down to that. So you can draw almost anything just through being able to draw cylinders and shapes. It doesn't matter what it is, a car, a human face. After that, it's just a matter of proportion. This is a different kind of lesson. This is, well, I shouldn't say that. This is the same kind of lesson, but told differently. I guess that's the best way to put it. I can't explain 100% how, how or why or well this works. Like any practice, you know, sit down and draw 25 cars. I'm sure at the end of it, you're better at drawing cars. Uh, that's just the way it is. So, but, but I have found this super valuable, especially with, you know, really intricate or beautiful people who are wearing, you know, exotic hairstyles and I'm not used to drawing. It's, you know, being able to draw somebody who has their hair up and then rotate them 360, uh, you can fudge it, you know, but how do you do it actually accurately, you know? That's what I'm going for. And anyway, that's my tip for today on learning how to draw. I really find that valuable. I will go and download 25 pictures of a person and draw all 25 pictures over a period of several weeks and do studies on each one of these pictures. I've done Gene Hackman. Uh, I'm doing Tom Cruise right now. I've done Justin Bieber. 
uh, I've done some really famous people, studies of them. And one thing I've done, too, is sometimes a person will be on a YouTube video, and they'll be talking or walking or moving on a YouTube video, and I will do screen captures of the YouTube video in order to get weird angles of people, <laughs> angles you don't ordinarily get, uh, you know, side views and profiles of famous people. And that really is interesting. That has taught me a lot. So, uh, anyway, I, I have learned that most people are not going to do a damn thing I say. But they find it interesting to hear me chatter about it, so I guess that's, that's the benefit. Uh, I don't really presume anybody will actually do this, but I have to tell you, it is one of the things I do all the time. Uh, I have a library of different famous people that I slowly work my way through, drawing each drawing of the person. And man, I really learn a lot by drawing a human being from the same human being in the, sa in the same moment, from all these different angles. You know, Brad Pitt at the next premiere will look totally different. He's wearing different clothes. He, he might have a different hairstyle or whatever it could be. But, you know, for that one moment while he's at the Golden Globes in, you know, 2010, he looks a certain way. And capturing that look, how he looked in that certain day, is what I'm chasing. I saw a woman who was a sculptor who used to do something like this. And even though this is not the exact idea, it's still, the, it's still the same thing. She would go through and, like, grab a movie like Dirty Harry with Clint Eastwood. And then she would just draw, she would freeze the DVD, or back then it was VHS. She would freeze it and just do sketches of the movie scenes as they were presented right there in front of her. And so she would draw, you know, 25 drawings of Clint Eastwood in his Dirty Harry phase. Or she'd do 25 drawings of, you know, Harrison Ford from the first Indiana Jones movie so she could draw them, you know, perfectly from all different angles. It was really interesting watching her work. This is that kind of idea. You know, I can draw Indiana Jones straight on looking at you, but can I draw him in his hat, you know, 360 as he rotates around? Doing a bunch of studies of Indiana Jones from the movie, getting all the angles of his head, face, the hat, how he looks looking this way over his shoulder, you know, in profile, blah, blah. That can really teach you a lot. And working with one figure is really a way to do it because your brain isn't confused then. You're always working with the same, you know, nose, same eyes, same lips, same shapes. And you get used to working with them. And then your mind starts rotating them inside your mind. And you get a much better handle on drawing those things. I'm not sure this will work for everybody, but I have to say it really, really works for me. There's no doubt about it. Uh, it has raised my efficiency uh, in drawing accurate people a million percent. There's a guy in the golden age of comics. I'll have to get his name for the next show. He was absolutely uncanny in how he could draw people accurately from panel to panel, moment to moment, scene to scene. It, it's absolutely incredible. I don't know how he did it. He must have had photographs. But even so, he seems to handle it effortlessly. I have to find out who this guy is. I, I've identified him incorrectly several times as other people, so I don't want to say who he is because I'll invariably be wrong. Just on a completely side note, as I draw and illustrate more and more,
I would really like to take my work in a more illustratively beautiful place. Barry Windsor Smith. He drew like, you know, Herb Trimp for a while, which is a big compliment. And then he sort of became like this illustrative artist where his work was like uh, Alfonso Mucha. You know, he, he it was very illustrative and beautiful. It was just cool to look at his work because it was pretty. And of course there's, you know, beautiful inking, other things to appreciate in art, but there are people who actually draw for illustrative beauty. I would like to uh, infuse this into my work more so. Uh, or, or, or at least do it. <laughs> I really think there's something to be gained there for me. I would like to have, you know, beautiful patterns and flower arrangements in my work, something different. I, different subject now, I realize that for a lot of people, efficiency is not at all what they're after or seeking or they're not on that part of the journey yet with their things or whatever. And I understand that. I'm not here to tell you how to do it, even though I am telling you how to do it. Uh, this is just how I do it. You know, I have people, as I've often said, swirling around me, who, you know, like this one guy I know, could be an absolute brilliant inker in about three days, because he can handle a pencil like you and I handle an ink brush. And, but he just resists inking. He always tells me, no, man, I'm not going to ink. And like people who draw on paper and who could really make the jump to digital super easy and efficiently, but, you know, just go, hey, man, I don't want to do it digitally. I, I'm doing it my way. Uh, or, or whatever that is. You know, there's the 100 million versions of that, hey, man, I'm doing it my way thing. And they resist or they get angry when you say, well, you know, this other way is more efficient. And they go, I don't want to do it that way. You know, that's not for me. Like, that's fine. Like, you do it your way. You know, people, uh, everybody gets to do it their way. As I often, many times have said in this show, that's fine. Now, the thing is, though, some things are just math, as I've often said, and you can't argue with the results. There is no question that switching to digital drawing, digital painting, and like, you know, increases your productivity uh, ten times over. There's no question it's more efficient and fast. When you take out scanning and erasing and all that stuff out of your artwork, if you just take off the scanning and the erasing, it saves you hundreds of hours. You know, so efficiency... Uh, is not everybody's goal, I get that, but there's no denying it's real. If, you know, if you're doing everything on pen and paper now, and you switched it all to doing it digitally, it would go by so much faster, you wouldn't believe it. Those are just facts. Now, at first, it's harder. At first, you know, drawing digitally is difficult, because you're not used to it. You're not used to looking at a computer and drawing. You're used to looking down at your hand and your paper and getting that spatial relationship inside your brain. So it's going to take a couple months for your brain to get used to drawing on a computer screen. But once it does, once you fully adapt, you will be really, really, really fast compared to what you used to be. That is a fact. Now, a lot of people resist this. Oh, man, I'm not you know, going to draw digitally. I, I, you know, blah, 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 whatever reason. 
that's fine. I'm, I'm fine with you doing it your way, however you want to do it. But the facts are the facts. There is an efficiency to everything, <laughs> to everything. And to deny that is crazy. And so maybe I'm just the laziest guy who ever lived. But I'm always looking for the fastest, most efficient way to do what I do so I can do it quicker and get in and out and do more of it. That's the truth. You know, I can tell more stories and create more books now than I ever could due to the speed of the computer. You know, when I think about what it used to take to ink and draw and letter a page, I, I want to, you know, blow my brains out, as I often say, because it takes too damn long to do it analog. Doing things digitally is so fast. It's, it's crazy fast compared to other methods. So, again... Crazy fast may not be your goal, and that is absolutely fine. You have no interest in that sort of thing. That is fine with me. But the facts are the facts. And here's the good news. Anybody can learn it. Anybody can do it. It's not like some magic trick only for the talented few. Anybody can, you know, draw on a mouse, draw on a computer, draw on a $50 Wacom tablet, and increase their efficiency amazingly. Yes, it's a pain in the ass to first learn the digital methods and so on. But eventually, like I said, in a few weeks, you will learn it and master it. And from that point forward, it's always in your bag of tricks. And you'll be amazed at how fast you'll go. So one thing, I don't want anybody to write me any hate letters about how they don't want me lecturing them on being fast and efficient. I'm not trying to lecture. I'm just It's like saying, you know, a certain kind of car drives faster in another kind of car. It's true. Certain kind of cars just do 0 to 60, and certain other cars do 0 to 60 in about two minutes. I used to own that car. Uh, it literally would do 0 to 60 in like a minute and a half. <laughs> it was so slow. It was a Volkswagen Rabbit. Uh, there's all kinds of then different efficiencies, and we're all comfortable, comfortable then at different levels. So whatever is good for you, that's, that's fine with me. That's what's good for you. I think, as I've said, we are in just this most incredible time in history. And we have such a rare opportunity now to make art in a way we never could. You know, you can digitally color something you know, in the old days, you'd have to hire Rich Corbin to bring him in and airbrush it, you know, for a couple of weeks to color the, the dang thing. Now you can color the whole thing really fast <laughs> on your computer. It's amazing. Uh, and, and I think, you know, for me, uh, I resisted it. I resisted computers. Uh, I resisted everything. I always resist everything. The only reason I even draw now, you know, probably on a tablet and digitally is because George Leon gave me his old tablet. If you guys remember, George used to be on the show now and again. And he said to me one day, hey, listen, I want to give you a gift. He, was, he is a very generous, nice guy. And uh, he said, listen, you know, let me give you this tablet. And he did. He gave me this old Wacom tablet of his. And I started using it. And man, if it didn't open up my eyes and change everything. Since that time, I have given my old tablets uh, to other people who aren't digital and said, hey, you should really give this tablet thing a try. Send them the software and everything. And uh, more often than not, they're really pissed off 
<laughs> they get the tablet and they get the software and go, hey man, I don't know why you're mailing this to me. That just happened to me uh, not long ago. I mailed a guy a tablet and a brand new copy of Manga Studio as a gift. And he wrote back and said, you know, I have no use for any of this. I'm just going to get rid of it. <laughs> I was like, okay, whatever you want to do. You know, once you give a gift, you have to just let go of it. So obviously for him, uh, digital inking and uh, using Manga Studio is not in his future. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And, you know, since that time, it's kind of like screwed up our relationship, of course. You know, he's pissed off that I dare imply, you know, that he should be, you know, learning uh, Manga Studio and inking on a tablet because that just makes me a huge ass to even suggest that. And worse than that, of course, is I mailed him a, a copy of Manga Studio and a tablet and said, hey, give this a go. That really pissed him off. <laughs> anyway, someone once did that to me. They said to me, hey... Uh, here is a tablet, you know, why don't you give it a go? I went out and bought Manga Studio on a sale, and I haven't looked back since. I learned it the first day, and I've been working in it ever since. It really is a fantastic tool and super efficient. I wasn't always this way, and I'm not this way about many, many other things. But when it comes to art or to, like, you know, other things where efficiency can really help me get more of what I want, which is more time doing more stories and or more free time. I'm willing to try it. I really am. I always used to win most coachable athlete. Not the best athlete. I never won that ever. It was always people much faster and more talented than me. But I used to win most coachable. I would do anything the coach asked us to do. I would try super, super, super hard. I would train, I would eat, I would rest. I would try to give myself every advantage I could when I was an athlete to try to have, you know, better performance. Uh, and I think that commitment to that sort of idea has, you know, kept with me my whole life. You know, uh, there's these guys who come and cut the lawn here where I live, and they cut the lawn in like 20 minutes. You wouldn't believe how efficient they are in cutting the lawn. Zip, bam, in and out. And uh, they're like surgeons on the thing. So they're super, super efficient in cutting lawns. Uh, I've, you know, I've sent out like a teenage kid to cut my lawn. And it might take him an hour. Or more. You know, at least double. Because they're just not that efficient at doing things yet and it's not that important to them at some times and they might spend an hour on it and do a really bad job <laughs> so spending more time doesn't guarantee a better job it just means they spent more time so think about that with your art you know just because you spent weeks and weeks and weeks on something doesn't mean it's good maybe you just were learning on that piece you know that kind of idea Oh, I hope you guys are having a good summer and a great time in your art studios. I uh, have been having a lot of fun. I've caught a cold, so you'll have to pardon me. Uh, I'm a little congested, and I'm resting. 
And of course, my idea of resting is sitting right here and drawing. So I'm drawing the pages to my new book. Certain scenes of it take place in Paris. I've been drawing the Eiffel Tower and some buildings and some really cool things. It's been really fun. So I'm trying to make the best of my downtime while I kick back in the art studio. It's not always easy to draw and talk, as I've said, because your brain is trying to do two things at once. And unless you have something really definitive that's burning inside you to talk about, it's uh, easy to get lost, just kind of meander around and wander. <laughs> Every now and then, I get vindicated. You know, you might say, why did you bother sending somebody, you know, a, a, a drawing tablet and software when you know, because you're so old and experienced and you're so smart, that there was a 99% chance they would get pissed off and, and tell you to get lost. Since you know that's usually what happens, why did you do it? I did it because I hold out hope for human beings. And I also know in my heart, because this guy's a particularly excellent artist, that if this guy held a, a tablet in his hand for a week, within a week he would be drawing on that tablet just like he draws on paper, very fluidly and very awesomely. So he's a, like a superb candidate for the tablet drawing environment. And I'm an expert at this, and I know it, so I'm not talking out my ass, I, you know, like, you know, perceiving the value of athletes, I could perceive the value of artists and their skill level, and believe me, this guy could easily make the jump to digital. So I did it to help him. Even though I knew he was probably not going to benefit from what I did. Because I hold out hope that people will be open to the new experience and the new thing and that the change will benefit them. If I wasn't trying to give them something that benefited them, I guess it'd be a whole different story. But it's, that is the case, where I think that, you know, if they learn to go digital, and that's specifically, specifically what we're talking about here, that it would benefit them so profoundly that they can't, can't even understand it. You know, it, it, it would change their working life uh, amazingly. And the only way for them to really know that is to experience it. So I hold out hope that people will eventually get curious, have a little more of an open mind, uh, or just want to learn and give it a go. You know, a friend of mine wrote a book, and he never wrote another book again. You know why? He was pissed off that nobody read his book. He wrote me a long letter about how pissed off he was that nobody wrote him you know, a letter of comment about his book. And since that time, he's been so disillusioned with book writing that he quit. So he wasn't writing books for himself because he was really into writing books. He was writing books so he could get comments from people. <laughs> and if he didn't get those comments, well, by God, he wasn't going to write any more books. 
I think about that because the book wasn't bad. And I think like, you know, so the whole end game for him was, you know, people have to write him letters of comment praising the book. Otherwise, he's not going to do any more books. If if I got, you know, I don't want to talk about myself. So that that's a crazy thing to attach your success to, in my opinion. Uh, you know, you may have to write dozens and dozens of books before you get a book that people, you know, will praise or want to read, if ever. But the fact that your friends and family don't want to read your stuff, well, that's just the way it is. I mean, it's, all all artists do that. I, I carry around my books and my art. You know, the other day I was showing it to somebody. And again, you know, they barely glanced at it. They looked at, there was like 12 pieces in the stack. They barely glanced at the one piece and went, oh, this looks good. And then just moved on. Like, they weren't interested in looking at any more art in the pile. That's just how people are. And you can't force it on them. You can't say, hey, I demand you look at this art. <laughs> I demand it. <laughs> you know? Anyway, he quit writing because he was really disillusioned because pe people weren't reading his story. If you're going to write, of course, it would be better if you were writing, you know, I don't know, for your own reasons because you really enjoyed writing or had stories to tell. I guess people write for money. Edgar Rice Burroughs, Tarzan, you know, he wrote for money. But at some point, he must have had to write to please himself, right? Wouldn't, wouldn't you think? It's, I don't know, I think about that a lot, that this guy just stopped writing because he didn't get any letters of comment, you know? That was the end game for him writing his stuff. <laughs> how, can, how can that be? How can he quit writing because of that reason? And, I don't know, I just found his book yesterday is why it's on my mind, because I looked at the book... And said, man, he never wrote any more books because he was so pissed off because nobody praised the first book. I guess that's how it is with little kids. When I was a little kid, people used to praise my art and reinforce it and go, oh, you draw so well. But actually, I didn't draw well, and no one did that and reinforced it. So I don't know where the reinforcing came from because I don't recall there being a, a positive reinforcement loop with my drawing. In fact, the opposite. Uh... <laughs> So I don't know what kept me drawing. I think I just really liked it. Uh, but, you know, for most people, there's a positive feedback loop. They draw something. People go, oh, that's cool. So they do it again and again and again. And they grow up and be an artist because people have been praising them about their art their whole life and they like the praise. You know, whether it's music or whatever, people get attention and comments due to doing certain things. You know, even just being pretty or having nice hair. And people want to repeat that experience so they'll do it over and over again. It's kind of like posting on Facebook. You post on Facebook for the likes, and you repeat that experience to get more likes. You know, we like praise as human beings. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's uh, nothing could be more human on Earth. It gives you encouragement and helps you keep going. I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> I think I had a point to all that, but I'll be damned if I can find it. Might be under here somewhere. Uh... <laughs> That's hilarious. Anyway, I hope all of you guys are have a fantastic uh, a day, week, uh, in your art studios. Carry on, have fun, uh, do your thing, and you know, do it because you want to do it. Do it so you know because it's something that you're interested in. Uh, 
Um, you know, we may not always get the result we want, you know, from the world. You know, we may not become famous or, or you know, become a famous comedian just because we do comedy. I had a friend of mine do comedy for six months last year, and then she kind of gave up on it. Uh, you know, it turns out she wasn't very funny. But she didn't also, I don't know, she sort of liked doing it, but then didn't like doing it. It's hard to describe. But having done things like that, I understand. And, you know, maybe if she was a lot funnier and got a real positive feedback out of it, you know, she'd still be doing it. That's that might be fair to say. But anyway... Uh, you know, so do what you want to do for your reasons, and I suppose I'm trying to say don't worry about people praising you or not praising you. For the most part, you will do things and people will not praise you for it. <laughs> they will not call you up and go, oh, you're a genius, uh, your new book, your new drawing, your new sketch is just fantastic. For the vast majority of your life, that is not going to happen. So you've got to sort of toughen up and you know, do things for your own reasons because you want to do them and not worry about how other people accept them or not. It'd be nice if they accepted it and loved it, but, you know, maybe they don't. I'm sure there's many artists in their time whose work was not much appreciated by the people around them and they found it very difficult to go on because they were getting a negative feedback loop. So, you know, I think we have to create our own positive feedback loop Somehow we have our own, you know, uh, enthusiasm, our own joy in doing the project has to be enough uh, to make us, you know, feel complete in doing it and not being, you know, bitter and angry that it wasn't what we wanted it to be. Uh, maybe that's one way to think about it. You know, one thing's for sure, I'm not going back to Kickstarter anytime soon. Kickstarter, you know, exposed me to a new audience and I think helped in that respect. I think it got me some work. But I didn't enjoy the experience of Kickstarter, and so I'm not going to go back and do it again and again. Uh, so maybe it's something like that. You know, I did it. It wasn't all that great. I'm not going to do it again. So we have to learn as we go with each thing what it is we are willing to experience uh, and, you know, what brings us pleasure. And I can honestly say I enjoyed, you know, making my Kickstarter stuff, but I didn't enjoy the Kickstarter experience and I sure as hell don't want to repeat it anytime soon. Uh, and that's the opposite for other people. Other people go to Kickstarter, pull, you know, pull a lot of money and friends and cool stuff out of it, and it works great for them. So each person has a different experience uh, on what they do and what happens to them. Have a great day in your art studios. Carry on, and I will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.